The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, and we'd like to extend a quick word of thanks to those of you who have helped us keep the show ad-free, helped fund off-season research and improvements, provide feedback so we can best provide value to our community. To join us for as little as $5 per month, sign up at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen, at CFB Winning Edge on the Twitter. Still waiting on Xavier to fix that schedule up, uh, but he will be sending in comments again today, so we will have him on the show, just not live with us. But, Nick, uh, how was week three of the college football season? Uh, well, you know, it, it was a it was kind of a wild week overall. It was, uh, you know, some interesting things <laughs> happening, of course. I mean, we uh, saw our first big head coaching change, as we talked about last week. And USC, uh, you know, really kind of stumbled early, I guess, against uh, Washington State, thought that it, you know, could get worse before it got better. And then all of a sudden, you know, they get a touchdown before halftime and then score, uh, what was it, 38 unanswered in the second half, so 45 unanswered total, yeah. uh, and, and end up winning that game really easily. Jackson Dart looked great in relief of uh, Keaton Slovis, so, you know, that's a, a storyline that we'll be talking about, I'm sure, since, you know, a lot of the, the second half of the game. I just happened to rewatch it last night, so it's top of mind, I guess. Uh, but the conversation that the, uh, you know, crew was, was, uh, having late in the game was, Hey, even if Slovis is fully healthy now, you, you kind of have to consider Dart the favorite to have this job. Right. And, and so things have changed a little bit since it seems Slovis is healthy and Dart might not be. Uh, but you know, that one, that one was, uh, uh, kind of a, uh, an interesting one to watch and wanted to, to go back and spend a little time on it. Cause I missed a good chunk of it on, on Saturday, but uh, you know, Alabama getting tested. Uh, that was interesting to see for sure. We actually have a new number one team in our power ratings, which I, I did not expect necessarily. And I don't know that it'll uh, stay, but we actually had Georgia just barely creep up above Alabama in our, our most recent uh, ratings update. And part of that is, you know, Alabama, they didn't necessarily struggle, but they, um, you know, weren't as dominant, I guess, as, as uh, maybe they have been in the past. And then Georgia, of course, you know, played a weaker opponent, much weaker opponent in South Carolina, but did uh, dominate pretty well. But a lot of, lot of uh, you know, good games. The Auburn-Penn State game was close the whole way. Um, some upsets, Fresno State knocking off UCLA oh. uh, late. A lot of people probably missed that. Um, BYU continues to, you know, <laughs> beat people. Another, uh, and then some, that one. some really disappointing uh, teams so far. Miami losing again. Clemson's looking real shaky. Uh, Ohio State didn't really put Tulsa away. So 
just some, you know, I mean, Oklahoma getting tested a bit Thank by you. Nebraska. Uh, it, it was a, it was a week that brought, I guess, some unexpected uh, things, or at least things I didn't necessarily see coming. Um, but also, you know, sets up what could be just a, a fun year with the yeah. unexpected stuff. Even Alabama looked beatable. Not really. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Florida is not any team in the country. They're still a top five team, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, they they almost took Bama down. It was very, very close. So, you know, much more beatable than they looked like last year when they were blowing the doors off everybody by 20. So, you know, uh, just uh, like you said, a, a strange week. But um, how did the numbers look for last week? Well, the good news is we were 2-0 and and our wrong team favored Got selections. that right. Yes. We got those. We're now seven, two, and one on those uh, this season. But uh, everything else was bad, very bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I was uh, frustrated because I had UCLA and BYU in those late games in my article for betting pros, and I you know I went five and five, so I was okay on the day. You know, I didn't dip below five hundred or anything. But th- those two just specifically, you know. BYU barely beat Arizona and Arizona lost to, you know, NAU. And I know you can't do a one for one and a transitive properties and all that nonsense, but U of A is a bad team and they, they put up 300 passing yards on BYU. So I thought ASU who beat U of A once again, not the same team, but 70 to seven or whatever it was the the last game of the year. I thought ASU was going to go in there and just roll. Absolutely did not happen. Now, 16 penalties to three would be uh, your difference maker there. And also, I have no idea what UCLA did with their extra week off. It wasn't (laughs) practice. I know that. So uh, against Fresno State, Fresno State uh, almost beat Oregon. That was a close game. So Fresno State's a good team. I respect them. But UCLA just looked otherworldly against uh, LSU, you know, and that didn't make any sense either. So a bunch of stuff. That did not make sense, as you alluded to, um, for week three. But, uh, you know, what else happened in week three was just a slew of quarterback entries. All kinds of QBs went down. Uh, Dylan Gabriel broke his uh, clavicle on the last play of that game in a wild game. Uh, Keaton Slovis got knocked out of the game. Jackson Dart came in. He was uh, very, very impressive. Like you said, in the second half, that's really what sparked them. Derek King is banged up. He might not play. This week, uh, and a couple of big-time wide receivers, uh, David Bell was carted off. Drake London left late. Um, you know, Ant- Andre Anthony from LSU and uh, Trey Sterling from Oklahoma State, both out for the year. So it was a bloody weekend for uh, some of our college football stars here. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, uh, hate it anytime somebody suffers a, a significant injury, especially hate it. Uh, the way it happened to Dylan Gabriel at the end of the game when it's kind of a you know desperation play where uh, just in some ways really fluky and other ways uh, just maybe shouldn't have even happened quite like that but uh, really you know hate to see a, a guy like that um, go down and and it's going to be a big loss for UCF and hopefully he'll be able to uh, get back and healthy quickly uh, Slovis as uh, mentioned, seems like he is healthy, which is probably a good thing because uh, sounds like he's got a fight on his hands. If, if uh, Dart's going to be uh, able to get back to practice, I know he missed practice on 
Monday, maybe Tuesday as well. Um, I guess they maybe didn't practice uh, uh, on uh, anyway. I know we missed at least one practice so far this week, uh, but he's you know going to going to have to fight for that job a little bit. Uh, Derek King didn't uh, practice as well. They've got a, an FCS opponent, so it wouldn't be a surprise if they just hold him out uh, to to try to rest up and get ready for uh, ACC play coming up. But yeah, I mean, two of the better wide receivers in college football in Bell and London, it's kind of hard to know exactly how, you know, serious those injuries are. I know Bell after the game mentioned he was up and moving around and, and everything like that, but he hit his head really hard on the turf. And sometimes it just, you know, takes more than a few days to, uh, shake something like that off. London haven't heard a, a ton of uh, information about early in the week, so we'll need to keep an eye on that. But he was a big, big part of Dart's big day and, and UCI, uh, USC's comeback there. Uh, and then, you know, we don't it, – it's a little – sometimes it flies under the radar a little bit, uh, especially, I mean, you and I talk CFF – uh, you know, at least once a week. And, and uh, so we're focused maybe a little bit more on the offensive side of the ball sometimes, but there are some significant, you know, defenders going down as well. And, and uh, those guys might not, you don't necessarily see their impact on, uh, you know, point spread projections and things like that, maybe as much as the quarterback. Uh, but, you know, I mean, a guy like Trey Sterling playing a safety position uh, could be considered, you know, the quarterback of the defense and, and guys like that um, going down are, are a big, big thing. Andre Anthony, you know, was a, a part of what was a much improved, has been a much improved LSU pass rush early in the year. So uh, just something to, you know, be aware of. And of course, Kayvon Thibodeau is still, uh, still not sure if he's going to be able to bounce back and play. He is obviously one of the more impact, impactful uh, defenders. But uh, it's important, I think, to, to keep an eye on some of those guys as well. We try our best to, to keep up with those injury updates and uh, update our depth charts and the, the FBS team profiles. And, um, you know, got to gotta keep in mind that, that those 11 guys on defense are pretty important too. So try to try to keep track of them as well. Absolutely. Now uh, let's get into the thick of week four here. When we look through the lines, and there are a couple this week, I feel like, but what is the one that you look at and, you know, it's all question marks. You know, your head looks like the Riddler. Uh, it confuses you the most. So I, I did write up our big uh, uh, post for our Patreon supporters on Tuesday and released that uh, in the evening on Tuesday nights. Try to make sure it's out there for our, our Patreon supporters uh, before we discuss it in anywhere else. Uh, and if, if uh, you've been with us before as, as either a listener or a Patreon supporter, you know that sometimes I have to kind of work through my feelings a little bit after, <laughs> a, after a rough week. And, and so uh, I'm sure I'll do that a little bit today, but I definitely do it in the, in the uh, weekly post as well. Uh, and, and so, you know, I mentioned things were bad, uh, last week, and a lot of that was was um, all three agree. It was it was the single worst indicator. I think last week we were four and twelve uh, in, in those games, and there are just as many this week. Um, and so you know, we kind of wonder, hey, were we just 
really lucky last year that it happened to be that that was our best indicator? Is there something, you know, wrong with our process? And, and so, you know, there are some all three agree uh, lines that I look at and, and I kind of, like you said, start to, to see question marks. I start to get a little bit confused. And, and uh, two of those that hit me uh, this week were UTSA at Memphis um, and Clemson at NC State. And the UTSA at Memphis actually isn't isn't an all three agree, but it's a it's a wrong team favorite. We actually have UTSA, who's a three and a half point underdog, uh, favored in that game. And, and um, you know, we've mentioned before that Memphis has been a team that our projections are quite low on. Uh, we haven't quite maybe caught up with some of the um, the players that they have that are better than what our uh, player ratings are able to show right now. They've got a true freshman quarterback in, in Seth Hennigan. He's in a you know, mid-70s player rating as a three-star guy in his first year, but he's been really productive, uh, at least until last week against Mississippi State. And then uh, at the running back position, um, they've they've you know gotten a, a bit of a surprise, um, at least to, to most observers, with uh, redshirt freshman Brandon Thomas kind of taking control of, of that job. And he's you know, similarly, a, a three-star guy didn't play very much as a true freshman last year, but took over that job, and, and so he's been productive. Got himself, got his rating up to an eighty, but still, you know, he's probably better than that. So, uh, one, our projections have been low on Memphis since the summer uh, and spring, um, and they seem to be better than we projected. Uh, and, and two, you know, UTSA, it seems like, is a team that our numbers are are pretty uh, pretty solid on. I mean, we saw a, a real good opportunity for them to maybe upset Illinois in their first game. Uh, last week, we definitely, you know, missed on Middle Tennessee. But, you know, we, we have a, a really high rating on UTSA. They're solid, no weak spots for a uh, Conference USA team especially. I mean, they're they're a, a solid program and a well have a well built roster. So it's it's a little you know uh, this this projection uh, worried me a little bit because we have UTSA favored to win outright, but we have Memphis in the other two models uh, with a, a talent edge and a uh, uh, stats only uh, edge as well. So uh, that one I'm I'm a little worried about the wrong team. Favorite, as we mentioned, has been so far, by far, our best uh, indicator. But we've got six of them on the list this week, and you know sometimes uh, that that can get you in trouble as well. Once we start getting a, a higher number, so that one definitely has me confused. One that I'm still a, a tiny bit confused. Won't go into as much rambling about it. Uh, but uh, Clemson is only a ten point favorite against NC State. And I just did a, a quick look back through my Phil Steele magazine and was looking for the last um, conference game or, or you know, or non-playoff game, basically, where Clemson was less than a double-digit favorite. And last year's Notre Dame game was, was won. Uh, but, of course, Trevor Lawrence was out in that game. Uh, but prior to that, it was, what, 2017? And I know Clemson hasn't looked good offensively this year and NC State 
did in, in two games against really weak opponents. I picked the under on the Clemson game against hey. Georgia Tech. So, and look, I, Xavier and I have a little crow to eat here. Uh, and conveniently, <laughs> he is not here. But uh, Nick said that at some point in the near future, Georgia Tech was going to be uh, competing with Clemson. And it actually did happen this year in 2021. Uh, now, you know, uh, the reasoning behind that, maybe we can adjust or, you know, maybe maybe that's still an eye rolling thought. But, uh, you know, it was they were in the game for the majority of it. And uh, I mean, it was a weird ass game with a lightning delay and all that stuff. But they played him hard and uh, took him down to the wire. Nick. Yeah. And, and I still even even uh, after seeing <laughs> that game, I, I still feel a little bit silly about saying that in what? 2019 or whatever it was. Uh, but hey, yeah, they did give them a game and Clemson does not look good offensively for sure. So uh, I, I, I don't know if I'm quite ready to, uh, you know, leave Clemson for dead. And as, as a 10 point favorite on the road against a solid team is not leaving them for dead by any stretch, but you know, our, our projections, our power ratings still have them as a top five team. Uh, I know they're not there in the national polls, but um, you know, I just, I, I feel like they're going to turn it around, but you know, they kind of have to prove uh, that they're able to do that. Will it happen this week? Maybe. Will they continue to struggle? I mean, they're 89th in offensive, Team performance, 105th and passing team performance. Uh, that's that's a concern. So it'll it'll that'll be a game I'm I'm uh, going to try to keep a close eye on for sure. Try to get a little bit better read on Clemson to see if they are you know falling back to the pack a little bit or if they're just off to a little bit of a fluky rough start that they'll be able to to bounce back from and continue to dominate. ACC play, uh, or you know, if if the first couple of weeks are really a sign of of uh, a struggling season, at least on offense. Now, what is the line you look at and you say, "Well, this one's too good to be true," and I'm running to put a little wager on it here. <laughs> well, so I read it as too good to be true. Where maybe you just say, you know what? No, they know might- <laughs> something I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. And and it's funny. I, I put this one down on the sheet, and just before we hit record, I, I was rolling through Twitter and and saw uh, that uh, Bill Connolly was going back and forth with someone about that the his SP plus projection for the Cal Washington game was like fourteen and a half, uh, and the line is seven and a half. Washington, he has favored by 14 and a half. We have it uh, 13 and a quarter, basically. But similar, you know, similar number, similar, uh, m- much higher projected point spread than what the market currently has. And somebody, uh, you know, mentioned that. I think it was the, the Washington SB Nation uh, site uh, account uh, mentioned like, hey, yeah, you know, you haven't uh, accounted for the Cal Washington always play a weird game uh, you know, <laughs> scenario and 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 Bill said like oh yeah you know I I didn't I didn't mention it in the best bets uh, column on on ESPN because uh, that's just a game I just don't want to touch and I feel I feel the same way I mean Washington is a team we've talked plenty about how we were so high on them in the preseason and then of course they uh, just completely uh, you know. Got off to a, a horrific start the first two weeks, 
bounced back in a big way last week. Uh, and the defense is still good, somewhat similar to Clemson. I mean, top 20 defense, top five passing defense uh, in our team performance ratings, but the offense is a real, real issue. 101st in rushing offense team performance, 67th overall, and that's after they put up, what, 40-something, almost 50 on uh, Arkansas State last week. So Cal, we've we've got a pretty decent track record with Cal. Uh, but you know, they're always a team that can jump up and bite somebody that they're not supposed to. And they have had Washington's number, it seems like in, in the past. So that is, that is definitely one that might be a little bit too true. All three of our projection models are basically double digits, uh, on Washington over Cal. Uh, so maybe, you know, maybe like you said, somebody knows something we don't know. And just another one that's that's just a little bit weird, and I don't know if it's necessarily too good to be true, but Washington, uh, excuse me, Western Michigan, coming off a big win against Pitt, uh, is a three-point favorite at home against San Jose State. We have Western Michigan as, as like a five- to six-point uh, talent edge and uh, projected scoring margin uh, uh, projection. But we actually have San Jose State favored in the team strength model, so it is a wrong team favored. However, this is kind of one of those weird uh, things that you have to pay attention to sometimes. There's a real scheduling quirk. San Jose State played in Honolulu last week, and they're playing in Kalamazoo this week. So back-to-back road games, two long trips. Uh, That's not necessarily something we can – uh, account for so maybe it's too good to be true that we're on San Jose State to win that game outright, especially when the other two models agree or excuse me uh, disagree with with that. Think that Western Michigan can cover the three, so uh, that's a that's a weird one as well. I mean, it's a great point to bring up to uh, you know just talk about that travel because it's not something that most people think of when they see a line, you know, you don't think of, Oh, they were in Hawaii and now they're going to Michigan, you know, all that stuff. So a uh, great point to make, but let's go ahead and dive into our week four preview. And we're going to start with the games I picked here. And I like that Nick. So um, the first one here is, I mean, I just kind of want to still take this line, even though it's gigantic and I don't have that instinct. So I wanted to hear what you have to say about it. It's the Georgia Bulldogs playing Vanderbilt this week, and they are 35-point favorites. The over-under is 53. I think Georgia might be the best team in college football this year. Vandy is still Vandy. I know they're working through it, and they did look better um, against Colorado State. They won, but, uh, you know, this is Georgia here, and this seems like a slaughtering, but they don't usually beat Vandy down by this many points. So uh, is this line... Maybe a little too big. What do you think of this one, Nick? This, uh, I was really surprised when he picked this one. And at first I thought, oh, maybe he saw that Georgia moved up to number one in our power ratings. Uh, <laughs> and, and then I got to thinking about it a little bit. And it, it, you know how sometimes we talk about a game and it gives me an excuse to talk about two or three other games. Uh, this is one of those where, uh, you know, I'm glad you brought it up because, yeah, not only is Georgia favored, Big over Vandy, but we've got some other, uh, you know, huge lines as well with Alabama favored by 45 against Southern Miss. And we've got uh, Ohio State favored by 49 against Akron. And I bring those two up because uh, they're 
they're just really weird. You know, we, we project every game regardless, and we just we kind of have to mark it down as a win or a loss one way or the other. But I wanted to share that our uh, Alabama projected point spread against Southern Miss is 44.96. <laughs> so we are on Southern Miss plus 45. I don't know how I feel about that exactly. Usually I like to be on the, the side of the underdog against Alabama in games like this because because it seems like they try you know they they play it a little closer and and uh seems like they you know dominate the teams that are better and then play a little closer against the the weakest teams and you know thinking too deeply about it it's maybe Nick Saban wants to have something to complain about at the end of the game or practice the next week or or what have you um and then also the the Ohio State one uh we have it at so they're a 49 point favorite we have ohio state favored by 49.82 so we're actually on the ohio state minus 49 and i think i would rather be on that one because they have something to prove i think after uh kind of you know starting slow this year but back to your original game uh georgia right now looks like the best team in college football just about they're two number two overall in team performance uh, top 20 on offense, top uh, six in passing offense in our team performance ratings, and that's with some quarterback questions and with uh, you know a first game against Clemson that wasn't all that impressive. Uh, so they've been great the last two weeks. JT Daniels appears to be healthy and, and back atop the depth chart, which I think is a, uh, a real plus for them. I, I don't know necessarily if if i quite trust the offense as a whole yet but you know they've they've looked pretty good uh throwing the football have one of the deepest running back rooms in the country the offensive line is uh only 45th right now in our o-line performance rating so still some room for improvement i know they've been shuffling the lineup a little bit there i've dealt with some injuries uh but defensively i mean they're dominant number one in defensive team performance number one in pass defense uh, and number five in rushing uh, defense team performance. You put that unit up against, you know, easily the the weakest roster in the SEC in Vanderbilt. They're 113th in our power ratings, 98th in roster strength, 104th defensive roster strength. Uh, they've shown some some you know glimpses of of promise uh, with the win against Colorado State, but the post game win expectancy in that game actually according to collegefootballdata.com, uh, was only 8%. So the underlying statistics, uh, you would have thought, you know, w- would lead to a Colorado State win 92 times out of 100. So uh, that was a bit of a surprise, and they put up zeros in, in losses to FCS uh, East Tennessee in week one and then last week against Stanford. So, you know, this Vanderbilt team – I think there are some, you know, signs of improvement. They've got a couple of wide receivers that are, uh, you know, fairly exciting. Cam Johnson, Chris Pierce has some uh, strong numbers in, uh, you know, number of targets and average depth of target, things like that. Uh, ben Bresnahan, the tight end, maybe their best offensive player. Seems like he is uh, healthy enough to play this week after missing uh, the last couple of games. Um, but you know, they did lose their leading running back, top running back, uh, Ramon Davis to a season ending injury. 
uh, last week, and and they've they've struggled defensively. And Clark Lee, you know, on paper uh, from his work at, at Notre Dame as a top ten defensive play caller in, in college football, but right now just doesn't you know just doesn't have the horses really. Uh, so our our numbers are are big on Georgia. Uh, think that this final score should be uh, you know another an additional touchdown added on. We've got Georgia favored by forty two, uh, but as you mentioned, and, and you know the reason that that you pick this game, it's such a big number. You have to worry about things that you can't really uh, quantify, like you know. Do we run it up? Do we, uh, you know, do we not run it up? Do we not take opportunities to punch in an extra touchdown late in the fourth quarter? Uh, do we, um, you know, not want to show our hand with a big game against Arkansas and Auburn in two weeks? Um, is it, you know, it's a it's an early uh, noon game, so you know maybe you come out a little sleepy. It's on the road. Don't think that. The, the crowd is going to be really into it. There's just a lot of factors that you can't really uh, put a, a, a big line to bet. It is. And, and sometimes, you know, sometimes there are outside factors in, in a, a game like this that just make it really, really tempting to game out scenarios to why Vanderbilt would be able to, to keep it close. And in our, you know, group text, talking about some games, talking about Ohio State, and, and Xavier brought up a point of like, hey, you know, I think they'll come out flat. And for me, that's that's a, uh, I don't know exactly the right term. It, it You can kind of convince yourself, you can give your re- yourself a reason yeah. to want to be on one side. And I struggle with that sometimes. And last week, uh, I was thinking about this as they were getting blown out in the first half by a Duke team that is actually, I think, a good bit better than than what I thought coming into the season. Uh, but I wanted to believe that Northwestern, you know, should be favored in that game uh, by by three and, and was going to be able to come in. And, and so I, I remember, you know, as I was talking last week, we were we were talking about that and maybe being a, a line that was too good to be true. Um, you know, you you give yourself reasons. You try to talk yourself into it sometimes. And I think saying something, and, and not to pick on Xavier, I mean, I, I, I really uh, think he's got some great insight, but saying I think a team's going to come out flat to me is kind of doing that. Like, yeah, I can, I can, I can uh, understand why a team would come out flat, but we can't predict a team to come out flat. Uh, so yeah, maybe Georgia does. Maybe maybe it's just a sleepy first half. Uh, they don't break a big run. You know, some, something uh, unexpected happens. A ball bounces the wrong way. Vandy gets a, a cheap touchdown on a fumbled snap in the end zone or something. Who knows? Uh, but uh, you know, it, it's I'm, I'm kind of losing the point probably. But uh, our our numbers think that Georgia should absolutely take care of business and win 45 to three. But I could certainly, you know, see nine or 10 different reasons why they only win the game 30 to three or 34 to 10 or or something like that. So it's, it's these big numbers can play tricks on you sometimes. 
And I try not to overthink it because I then end up talking for 15 minutes about <laughs> Georgia, you know, favored by 35 and Alabama favored by 49 and Ohio State favored. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand that. So uh, let's hear what Xavier has to say about it. So I'm going to assume that Scott picked UJ versus Vandy because of the line. And the line at this point is 35 and a half. Um, and I don't see why Georgia doesn't cover this. I think, and this is something I, I felt pretty pretty adamant about after watching this past performance, this past week's performance against uh, South Carolina, that this Georgia team, I think, is playing with a little different energy. I think they're playing with a di- little different swagger about themselves. And, and more importantly, uh, a bigger focus, a, a grand scheme focus. Um, you know, obviously, we've looked at some points in, you know, in Georgia's history, and we've seen them, you know, in games like this, maybe play down. You know, play down to their opponent, and, and you know, most recently, obviously in 2019, when South Carolina came into Athens and was able to, you know, get the upset victory. I think this Georgia team, you know, a lot of these guys were on the team when they were upset that year. A lot of guys were on the team last year um, when they lost to Florida, when they were not able to beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa. And you know, more importantly, I think a lot of these guys are just hungry. You know, I think they feel like this is the best team that they've had at Georgia since Kirby Smart's been there on both sides of the football. And I think that you know they're not going to allow, allow that to go and be taken for granted. Um, and I think they, I think they absolutely obliterate Vanderbilt this week. I think they send a message to Arkansas, who they play next week, um, that yo, you might be ranked, but we're not taking no off days. I don't, we don't care if it's South Carolina, we don't care if it's Vandy, and we definitely don't care if it's a ranked SEC team in Arkansas, who by all purposes should be ranked next week, uh, win or loss, unless that loss is a blowout. Um, on the Vandy side, you gotta be just looking for, you know, competing. You know, at this point, you know, Vandy has had a rough rough start to their year you know losing to east tennessee state um you know barely beating colorado state team two weeks ago and and, you know pretty much getting you know romper roomed by stanford you're really looking at vanderbilt and you're like you know week in and week out it's a competition you know it's it's an it's an opportunity for them to get better and to figure and figure things out you know i think the quarterback situation is still i won't say completely up for grabs i think it's ken seal's job to lose but like i said he can lose that job and the running game has been surprisingly solid. You know, against Stanford, they ran for over 170 yards. You know, they were able to get the ground game running. They just weren't able to get anything through the air. And so ultimately, their their, their offense stagnated and allowed you know Stanford to to do that to do what they wanted, especially coming off the big one that they had against uh, USC in the week prior. But you know, the next not this week, but the week after is a really big week for Vandy. You know, they're going to be playing UConn, which is their, a second another opportunity for them to get their second one of the year. Um, and with you know, when you look at the remainder of their schedule, you're looking at a team that possibly could get to that three or four win margin, which would would definitely be an improvement on what was able you know on last season. You know, in which they struggled in pretty much every single game last year uh, outside of their wins against UNLV and and, and uh, Missouri. So, you know, you you oh excuse me. Northern Illinois and Missouri. Uh, so you know, it, it, you know, if you're trying to build on something, especially in Clark Lee's first year as head coach, then to possibly finish with you know three or four wins after coming off of a two-win season is a plus. Um, and you know, for Vandy, they're trying to get back to the James, you know, uh, the James Franklin days, right? And it starts with competing. It, tar- it starts with becoming a competitive team again. And games like this against Georgia are an opportunity to show that you know that we can compete. At some part, you know, maybe Vanderbilt runs the ball, 
well against Georgia. Maybe Vanderbilt is able to slow down Georgia's running, running game. Those are the types of things that you're looking for as a Vandy fan and as a Vandy coaching staff. What did we do well against the number two ranked team in the country, right? Even in a game which we might lose by 30, what did we do well, right? And so I think in that regard, that's what Vandy's looking for. I still think Georgia covers. Um, they hung up 43 on, um, I believe it was 43, on South Carolina last week, which is the reason why I think that they cover. I think South Carolina is a better team. Uh, excuse me, they ha- they uh, hung up 27, not, 40, not 33, against South Carolina last week. I, so I think, you know, pretty much a touchdown and some change more. I think you see that with Vanderbilt. Um, and I do think that you see Georgia open up the offense a little bit. I, I don't think you see also the, the quarterback roulette situation that you saw kind of last week where they started with JT Daniels and then Gabe Stetson had been in the drive in which he threw a pick six. I think this will be the first game in, you know, since Clemson that we'll see exclusively JT Daniels probably until the fourth quarter. Like no like in-game switcheroos uh, like we saw last week. Um, and obviously we had to see when they played UAB due to JT Daniels injury. I think you'll see JT Daniels and it might probably open up the offense a little bit more uh, in preparation for Arkansas, uh, which, you know, it, it, three of the next four games for Georgia are all going to be against ranked teams. You know, when you talk about Arkansas, Auburn, you know, and Florida. And, heck, maybe, you know, I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility, but it maybe even a Kentucky team could, could possibly slide into that top 25 if they haven't lost a game by the time that they see them October 16th. Uh, so you're going to see Georgia probably work on a few things offensively, especially down the field. Um, they, I feel like they've gotten better with it, but they definitely need to make some strides uh, finding their third secondary and third and tertiary receivers. As far as running the football goes, that's going to be another point of emphasis this week. Um, and just getting those that platoon of backs carries. You know, it's hard to give four backs equal carries, but you've got to find out by the end of the year who are your guys. You know, I think James Cook is solidified as one of the guys. But who are who's going to be your second back? Who's going to be your more your, more, your power back? Is that going to be Zamir White, or is that going to be Kendall Milton? You know, or is that going to be you know uh, just a a fast backfield of you know James Cook and Kenny McIntosh? And I think George is going to have to figure that out. I think there's going to be a game in which you see them try to figure that out in this game in particular. Because one thing about playing a lesser opponent is you want to see the guys who don't take any games off, right? You don't want to see the guy. You want to see which guy takes every SEC matchup as if. They're playing Alabama, not, oh, we're playing Vandy this week, so I can load the round. You know, my ball security is going to be less, so I may fumble. I may not. You know, I may miss assignments on, you know, pass blocking schemes. I may miss the hole here or there, but it's Vandy, so who cares? This is going to be a game that, you know, from every coaching, uh, from every position group, but like I was talking about more importantly with the running back, because they're trying to figure out who's going to be the guys uh, who they can trust down the stretch when they have to play the Floridas and when they have to play the Alabamas in the SEC championship game, that are going to be able to, you know, that you trust wholeheartedly. Uh, obviously, I have Georgia winning this game, and like I said, I have Georgia covering. All right, going over to the next game I picked here, and this is one, you know, when you we talk about confusing lines, Nick, I looked at this line and went, this is kind of confusing to me because Oklahoma, they are at home, but they're a 16.5-point favorite against West Virginia. The over-under is 56.5 here, and I, I don't know what about Oklahoma – says to anyone that they should be 16 and a half point favorites against West Virginia. Now look, West Virginia is a team that I absolutely respect. I mean, I've seen them beat the Longhorns plenty of times, you know, and they're a team that constantly plays hard. So I think they're going to come out and, 
you know, attempt to smash Oklahoma. And we saw Oklahoma barely beat Tulane. You'd think they got a wake up call, but they just have not looked like the Oklahoma squad that we are used to this year. So this line kind of confused me. What do you think about this 16 and a half that West Virginia is getting? It seems fairly bettable to me. Yeah, Oklahoma's a hard team to get a read on. Uh, again, we've talked for months about how Oklahoma's in that elite tier in our power ratings to you know national title contending team, uh, playoff projected, basically. I mean, they've been a top three team for months and months in our ratings, and still, even though pretty lackluster performance against Tulane last week against Nebraska, uh, they're still there. Um, they're third in our power ratings. They have arguably the best quarterback in college football. Hasn't always looked like it, uh, but Spencer Rattler is is capable of being that for sure. Uh, have a you know very very solid running back uh, one two punch. Have a, a, you know, several exciting receivers. Marvin Mims hasn't really gotten going this year. Uh, but they've got Mike Woods, Jaden Hazleton, you know, Drake Stoops comes up with some big catches every once in a while. Mario Williams looks like the next great freshman. Uh, so offensively, you know, they're they're in a good spot. I mean, even the offensive line has been a bit of a question mark, and, and they had two spots that really weren't even uh, nailed down after week one, uh, including left tackle. But, you know, they're playing at a top 25 level, according to our O-line performance numbers. So uh, throw in a, a defense that, you know, gave up a lot of points to Tulane, to, to but still is a solid unit. And the defensive line is one of the best in college football. And our talent numbers, they're number six in uh, defensive line position strength. And, and then in our performance numbers, uh, they've played like a top five unit this year. So, you know, that's, that's a, a solid group there. Nick Benito, one of the best pass rushers in college football. Uh, how about that interception by DJ Graham? Oh, did you see that he almost challenged that for field position <laughs> that, that, uh, that he, yeah. Um, uh, Lincoln Riley almost challenged it, uh, to get better field position. Uh, yeah. but I mean, you can't take that highlight. Right. Yeah. That's right. ridiculous. Dude. Well, that's what it's like. Yeah. You know, it's fourth down, knock it down, knock it down. But, but, uh, you know, instinct just takes over in, in that situation and man, yeah, it would be, it would be a shame to have that play, uh, not exist because of a, a challenge or something like that. But man, I, I, uh, we in the group text, yeah, I, I yelled at my TV <laughs> screen when when that happened. Uh, so Oklahoma's a, a bit of a, a tough team to figure out right now because on paper they look like one of the very best teams in college football. They played like that in week two against a weak FCS opponent. They have not played like that against their two FBS opponents so far. And West Virginia is, you know, now pretty battle tested. I mean, they had a uh, a big win last week against Virginia Tech. They had to, to come up with a huge, uh, you know, red zone stop at the end of that game. Uh, they already had a tough loss against Maryland. Uh, so they played two solid opponents and, and came away with a big win. Uh, they, uh, you know, are not, 
great uh, as far as the the underlying numbers go. I mean, 56th in offensive team performance, 81st in rushing uh, team performance, and that's with a guy, Letty Brown, who's been incredibly productive, has had some good games already this year. Um, They have a good run defense, top 15 nationally in, in our numbers. The defense as a whole, which was one of the best in college football last year, uh, and right now, uh, according to the numbers, these success rate numbers, uh, uh, it seems like, just as an aside, a lot of the data issues that I talked about at the top of the show last week have been figured out, except there are some kind of fluky numbers uh, with success rate and, and things like that. Uh, Buffalo's got some really weird numbers for some reason. But anyway, but according to, to what I've got here in front of me, West Virginia does have the top uh, defensive success rate in the country, and they're actually number two in net success rate. Uh, so they're, you know, they're solid, and they are sixth in um, uh, expected points uh, added per play defensively. So they are, you know, playing, playing pretty decent uh, defense, especially against the run. But, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a team that you would think certainly could at least annoy Oklahoma, an Oklahoma team that has not been firing on all cylinders. I still think we will get to that point. I, I have not thrown you – know, I'm not as worried about Oklahoma as I am about Clemson and Ohio State, I'll say that. Um, I think Ohio State's got some real problems on defense, especially on the back end. And Clemson's got maybe some real problems uh, offensively. Oklahoma, I, I, I don't see any, uh, any just observable, obvious holes. I, I think they just haven't quite played up to expectations yet. So I, I, I think they could put it all together maybe this week against West Virginia. And maybe that's what I was just talking about with the uh, the big uh, point spreads. Maybe I'm just trying to convince myself of that. Uh, but I, I I am not as worried, at least yet, about Oklahoma. So our numbers, I, I believe we are on uh, Oklahoma to cover here. We think the projected uh, point spread is a little closer to 20 points than the, the 16 and a half. Uh, it is not... And all three agree. We do think that uh, West Virginia, you know, statistically in our, our prism model, uh, thinks they'll be able to, to keep it closer to two touchdowns. But this is a game Oklahoma should win by double digits. It's just whether or not I think they put it all together uh, and pick up an impressive win, their first impressive win over an FBS opponent this year. Our final score is 40 to 20. Um, that might be a little too high scoring, uh, but we, we are on Oklahoma to win and cover. Yeah, I mean, uh, that might be a little low scoring for what Oklahoma's defense has looked like this year. So, uh, and like you yeah, said, I mean, the defensive line's really, really good. <laughs> I know they gave up some points against Tulane, but the, some of the underlying numbers for Oklahoma uh, don't give up on that Oklahoma defense just yet. <laughs> says Nick, who, uh, you know, uh, was very, very complimentary of their defense the whole offseason here. So, uh, look, I, I, I of course, I'm bashing uh, Oklahoma here, but, uh, they, you know, is it tough to look uh, who hasn't looked good against Nebraska and their other opponent was Western Carolina. So, you know, this is a big game for the uh, to set the tone 
of this season because it's kind of like, okay, well, look, we know Nebraska can get up and play. They've had good recruits, right? Uh, Tulane was a bit of a surprise, but maybe they're knocking some rust off, right? When they played Western Carolina, they did everything they were supposed to do. So this is the tone setter, I think, for the rest of the season, this game. You know, hard to say that four games into the season, but I think this one is huge for Oklahoma and, and to see them moving forward. But let's hear what Xavier has to say about it. West Virginia, Oklahoma is a very intriguing matchup, especially after how you watched, uh, or how we watched, excuse me, West Virginia take care of business against a Virginia Tech team that really stifled the offense of North Carolina early on in the year. Um, yes, the game was a little bit closer down the, uh, towards the end there uh, than probably you know West Virginia fans like. Uh, however, West Virginia did what they wanted to do on the ground. Like, they did exactly what they wanted to do, and that's going to be their game plan against Oklahoma, controlling the trenches and allowing Jared Dagey to kind of just work his way into the game. Like, I think that is how West Virginia wants to play this year. Um, you saw in the game earlier this year against Maryland when it was made a little bit more of a shootout, that wasn't that wasn't what they wanted to do. You know, Jared Dagey throwing for 40 times in that game against Maryland is not what you know they feel like their formula for success is this year. And you felt like even in that ball game, they got away from giving the ball to Letty Brown. You know, he only had 17 carries, 73 yards, and he still even had two touchdowns. But you feel like maybe they got away from it a little bit because of the fact that, you know, the first quarter was a bit of a shootout. Let's just call it what it is. You know, and, and that kind of energy can carry through quarters. And you can feel like, oh, well, it's just going to be an easy day in the passing game. So let's just go with it, go with it, go with it, because we had so much success in the first quarter where you all of a sudden leave, you know, your, your, your running back you know out in the cold because you know now he's wondering like yo where is the touches and you saw them get back to that and have a more concerted effort against you know liu and more importantly last week against virginia tech letty brown 19 carries 161 yards eight and a half uh per carry and jared deggy from 40 passes in that game against maryland down to 26 uh, for 193, two touchdowns and an interception. So that's what they're going to try to do this week against Oklahoma. They're going to try to be more balanced. They're going to try to keep the ball out of Oklahoma's hand um, and keep it out of Spencer Rattler's hand. So that's going to be their game plan. Letty Brown is an excellent running back um, and, and, and amazing. What I would like to see from West Virginia, and I think that they are, they're, they're probably definitely looking at the, the film from last week, was the ability was Nebraska's ability to run the football with the quarter with the quarterback. You know, I know Jared Deggie is not the most athletic person on the face of the planet. However, every quarterback can run the read option. Every quarterback can do it. I watched Matt Ryan do it this past weekend. At that juncture, I came to the conclusion every quarterback, especially a college quarterback under the age of 23, can absolutely run the read option. And I think that's supposed to be that should be a part of their game plan this week. All the attention from Oklahoma up front is going to be on Letty Brown. It's going to be on Letty Brown. He's coming off of a career night of a career day. You know, they they beat a Virginia Tech team at home. Everything's looking up for them, um, and they're coming into O and they're coming into you know into, into OU with you know with plans of spoiling OU season. And I think that the ability of Jared Deggy to just be able to take a couple of reads. I'm not saying he's going to be Lamar Jackson all of a sudden, but to be able to pull a couple reads on, on big you know third and ones, fourth and threes, you know third and fours, and, and in the red zone in particular. That could go a long way to help them in their success. Because Nebraska had success doing it last week with Adrian Martinez, um, which led to him having one uh, having a rushing touchdown as well as a passing touchdown. And it allowed him to keep his throws down last week. Adrian Martinez only threw 25 times for 289 yards, a touchdown and a pick. And one heck of a pick from uh, that OU defender. 
Uh, on the opposite end, I'm waiting for Spencer Rattler to come around. Like, when are we going to see that number one overall pick kind of talent and poise? Maybe it's the sophomore slump. You know, maybe it's the fans. I don't know. But Spencer Rattler has just not come out exactly, you know, how I felt like he should have after what was a very, very good ending to his first year on campus. You know, started off shaky with Iowa State, you know, able to get retribution in the Big 12 championship game. Looks really good down the stretch. You know, Oklahoma blows out Florida Florida in that bowl game. He's a part of that as well as the defense. Everything's looking bright coming into the year. And let's be perfectly honest with you, he hasn't been great. You know, first game against Tulane, lays an egg. Yeah, he threw 30 of 39. That's great. But 304, one touchdown and one and two interceptions, that's not good enough. You know, following week, you know, against Western Carolina, they get back on track. But, you know, where I need consistency. And he has yet to show me that consistency. And that scares me a little bit when you get to thinking about, well, next week they play their kryptonite in Kansas State, in Manhattan, you know, at Bill Snyder Family Stadium, which has been a kryptonite for Oklahoma over, you know, the last, you know, four to five years. You know, then they play Texas on the, you know, at the Cotton Bowl. So, you know, it, it, to, to get right and to right those wrongs has to be this week for Spencer Rattler. He's got to face those demons, whatever they are, and get, you know, to whatever he, you know, whatever mental place he needs to get to, physical aspects he needs to, you know, he needs to add on to his game in between now uh, and Saturday. Because if not, he's got two games coming up with teams that are absolutely capable of beating him. And I'm not even discounting West Virginia's ability to do so. I just don't think West Virginia uh, being, I think Oklahoma being at home is just a little bit too much for West Virginia to handle. I think if this was a away game, I think, and especially with it being a night game, it could absolutely be a trap game for Oklahoma. I think West Virginia got Oklahoma's attention last week, though, beating Virginia Tech in the way in which they did so, pretty much, you know, pounding the rock and, and, and out physically um, Virginia Tech, as well as on the defensive and pretty much, you know, handling uh, Burmeister. So I think they got their attention, and I think Oklahoma's going to be awake for this game, especially with it being at home. The fan base will not allow that to happen. Kind of what you saw last week against Nebraska, which is, you know, the game was rather close, but you just felt like Oklahoma was always in some kind of control. You know, even when the game was 23-16 and Nebraska got the ball back, you just felt like Nebraska wasn't going to score. And Oklahoma had it. You know, I kind of feel that's the kind of energy I kind of feel going into this game against West Virginia. Is that I'm going to pick Oklahoma because I feel like no matter what juncture in the game, they're they're going to have it. They just they just are. Um, and that could be blind faith in, in Oklahoma. Wouldn't be the first time that we have blind faith in them. I don't know how many times they've been the number one country and soiled that ranking like the week after or two weeks after. Uh, but you know, I have, I have faith that Oklahoma in this game will, 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 you know, right the wrongs in which they need to. Because, like I said, they've got two games coming up that are very well, you know, you know, possible games in which they lose. Like I said, on the road against Kansas State and then, obviously, the Cotton Bowl and the Red River, Red River Shootout um, against Texas in the following week. So, I've got, tech, I've got Oklahoma in this game. Um, I think West Virginia will put up a fight, but I just think the lack of quality and at quarterback with Jared Deggie, is gonna be their in the, is gonna be their downfall because I think Oklahoma will pack the box and force Deggy to beat them and I don't think he he has the arm talent to do so uh, at this juncture in his career. All right, the next game up here we're going to Xavier's games and look I'm just gonna abstain from uh, giving my opinion about UCLA because it's clearly incorrect. Um, I don't know what I'm looking at when I look at them apparently, but he picked UCLA uh, at Stanford here and the line on uh, this game is UCLA by four and a half. 
Uh, 58 and a half is the over. So what do you think about this game, Nick? <laughs> I don't know either. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, so UCLA lost last week, right? Uh, to Fresno State, the team that they were favored to beat by 11 uh, by the odds makers and, and what, 14, 13, 14 by us. Uh, and they lost it outright. And they moved up in our power ratings. <laughs> I have, you know, I mean, it's so many might teams say, moved down that that's got to be what it is. Well, so. somebody, you know, some people might say, well, you, you've something's wrong maybe with, with your formula. And, and there's maybe an argument to be made. We do pay pretty careful attention and, and try to avoid that. But I mean, the numbers, you know, team performance, uh, they are over the last three years, UCLA has ranked 62nd in weighted team performance. So coming in to the year, they had been playing under Chip Kelly, like a, you know, top 60 team. And this year they're 21st in team performance. So even though they lost a game that they shouldn't have, they've been playing at a much higher level this year compared to recent years. So that's carrying a, a little bit of weight as we turn up the you know percentage on team performance each week. It, it adds a little bit more. And then by week six or so, it's only going to be you know 2021 numbers instead of uh, that three-year weighted average and, and things like that. That'll be completely filtered out. But they're you know 17th in offensive team performance, 16th running the ball, uh, the 55th in defensive team performance, which isn't great by any stretch, but that's a big improvement over you know the last few years. And they're actually playing run defense at a top 15 level. So you know some of the the uh, underlying numbers are are really really rough. Defensive success rate, EPA per play, they're in triple digits in both of those. But points per drive, I mean, they're top 50. Yards per play allowed, they're, uh, you know, 62nd. Yards per pass attempt, 63rd. Uh, and then on the offensive side of the ball, they've got some pretty solid numbers in some of those. Yards per pass attempt, they're top 10 in the uh, – or top 5 in the country. Uh, so it's – it's they're a tricky team to figure out. Stanford is a really, really tricky team to figure out. They, I think, are – the most annoying team to me this year, um, just because we were on all three agree on Stanford against Kansas state. That didn't work out. Uh, they, uh, wh what did they do in, in, we, Oh, they, we were, we are, we're on USC big uh, in week two and they blow USC out last week. We were on Vanderbilt plus 12, which I felt a little weird about, but it was all three, Agree, and I was trying to convince myself, you know, okay, maybe maybe we've got a shot at this. Uh, and then Stanford ended up, you know, pulling away big in, in the second half. They're just they're, they've definitely been annoying uh, <laughs> for, for you know the way our numbers treat them. We just can't can't you know get the right week can't can't be on the right side of them on the right week, even though we've been bouncing around a bit. Uh, and this is another one where our numbers are, you know pretty decidedly on UCLA. And part of that is, like I said, it's it's a little bit weird that they lost last week and moved up a spot. Uh, Stanford, we don't have figured out by any stretch. I mean, they're 45th in team performance overall. Uh, they are 65th defensively, uh, 45th on offense, 47th overall, I should say. Um, and they're, you know, they have some good numbers. The, the offense is 21st in EPA per play. Uh, nothing spectacular. 41st yards per play, 44th points per drive. 
15th in yards per pass attempt defensively. So that's, that's a solid number there, but uh, they're just a, a difficult team to peg down. I mean, they're a talented team, but they are not at all deep. And this, this week, both teams are dealing with uh, quite a few injuries. Stanford is going to be down to what one scholarship running back. Uh, they, they are going to be without Austin Jones, EJ Smith and Casey Filkins this week. Uh, they are going to be without multiple uh, starters or contributors in the secondary. UCLA has been hit real hard by, by injuries defensively. Uh, nobody is ruled out according to Chip Kelly, but it didn't sound good for uh, Atio Albania, Quentin Lake, and uh, Mitchell Lagoon. All three of those guys, I mean, arguably three of their four best defensive players have, have been really limited uh, this week in practice. They're, you know, really athletic, tight end, not as productive uh, in the passing game. Mike Martinez is on a, a scooter because of a, a, a foot injury, leg injury, uh, which again, I think I've brought this up before. What's up with all the foot injuries this year? Uh, but, you know, both teams are at less than 100%. Both teams have had some weird results. Um, our numbers are giving us, you know, some spitting out some some numbers that uh, make you scratch your head a little bit. So I, I don't have a great read on this, uh, even though we so, – so we're, like I said, pretty uh, squarely on UCLA. Our official projection has them winning by double digits. Our uh, talent edge is UCLA by a touchdown. The uh, prism model is, is by seven and a half. And as soon as the uh, Stanford injury news came out yesterday at, at running back, the line dropped. <laughs> it, it moved toward Stanford. So, this one, this one's weird. I don't know. Hopefully, Xavier has a better read on it than I do. <laughs> I just, I mean, it moved. Yeah, it moved from five to four and a half. Like as soon as I put in the, you know, saw the note. Oh, three running backs are out. Looked at the line, you know, trying to make sure I had it getting ready to publish uh, to our patrons, and, and had to drop it from five to four and a half. So it's a, it's a really weird one. I have, I have no idea. Uh, just looking at public betting, uh, the over under is fifty percent. So uh, dead even, and but Stanford is getting taken sixty-eight uh, percent of the time as far as the money goes. More bets placed on UCLA, more money placed on Stanford. So interesting there. But let's hear what Xavier has to say about it. Stanford versus UCLA is a massive game for both teams, in which both teams need a win. And I feel like this, you know, and what I mean by that is neither team has started off slow, right? Stanford, you know, after a demoralizing week one loss, was able to get right back on on the on the horse and upset USC in week two in, in pretty dominant fashion, and, and then beat Vanderbilt in, in once again a relative dominant fashion last week. Uh, but the, both of their schedules, UCLA and Stanford, gets hellacious like after this after this game in particular. Let's start with Stanford. Stanford plays UCLA, UCLA this weekend. Then they get Oregon and then they get Arizona State in back to back weeks. Uh, you look at UCLA schedule on the flip side. After this week, they get Arizona State. Um, they get reprieve with Arizona in two weeks, but then they get Washington and Oregon back to back weeks as well. So, you know, you're really looking at this game as you know a, a statement game for either program to make. You know, with you know Pac-12 play relatively, you know, 
not happening right now. The only, there's only three teams in the Pac-12 that actually even played a Pac-12 matchup. You know, you have Stanford atop the Pac-12 North because they beat USC. You have Washington State at the bottom of the Pac-12 North because they lost to USC. You've got USC, the only team in the conference that's even played multiple Pac-12 games with them being, two, you know, one and one atop the Pac-12 South. With that being the case, the Pac-12 is wide open, especially the Pac-12 South. And if you're UCLA, this is your season. You know, USC is going through a quarterback change right now. They think that they found their guy. Keaton Slovis is out the door right now. And they're, they're, they're not reeling. Uh, they, they looked much more impressive against Washington State this past week. But that game could have even ended up a little bit, you know, touchy by the end of that ball game if you really watched it and sat down uh, and saw that Washington State had, had control of that ball game. For, for about two and a half quarters before USC finally woke up. Um, so if you're UCLA, you've got to look at this year being an opportunity for you to really possibly, you know, for you to represent the Pac-12 South. You look at the competition around them as well. Outside of USC, Arizona State just lost a pretty big matchup to BYU, right? So right now, the teams around you are showing that they have flaws. They're showing you that it's possible that they can lose these ball games. And if you're UCLA, you've got to look at this matchup against Stanford as an opportunity to show the rest of the country, and especially show the Pac-12, that we're one of the better teams in the Pac-12. You, you know, what other what, what's one of the best ways of, of showing that you're capable of, of beating a USC by, you know, dominating the team that came to their house and beat them two weeks ago? Right? I know we don't like to use that, that, that law of elimination where it's like, well, if UCLA beats Stanford, then UCLA is better than USC. But it's definitely something you can look and hang your hat on a little bit. Right? If I dominate a team that you lost to, how much better than you are than I? Right? So UCLA has to look at this game as an opportunity to show the rest of the Pac-12 South that they mean business by beating a Stanford team uh, that has already beat, which was, was the perennial favorite for the Pac-12 South coming into the year. Uh, especially if they're able to do it on the road as well for UCLA. So that's, that would be massive. On the flip side, Stanford quietly could show the rest of the Pac-12 that they're not, you know, they're not going to go quietly into the night. Um, and, and it's a massive way to go into it because you think if Stanford beats a 24th ranked UCLA team, they're going to go into that Oregon game ranked versus ranked, which is just going to add more fuel to the fuel to the fire. It would go into that game also ranked or also 2-0 in the conference with an opportunity to really put some distance between them and Oregon if they were able to beat Oregon and go 3-0 in the conference and also give Oregon a conference loss. So this is a massive game for both teams. Uh, you know, I, I think when, when, when I, I can genuinely say that I'm excited for, you know, this is not a, necessarily a Pac-12 after dark, unfortunately. This game's at 6 o'clock. But it's a game that, you know, if you love college football, you should pay attention to. Uh, because the Pac-12 is really up for grabs. You know, I, I, I jokingly said a couple of weeks ago on Scott's podcast or on Scott's radio show that it's really a one-team race. And I do think, genuinely think it's Oregon and everybody else. But teams are making it interesting. And one of those teams is Stanford. And one of those teams is UCLA, a team that I definitely thought was not going to be able to handle LSU, be LSU. I mean, even though they're coming off the back of a loss to a Fresno State team, Let's not slight, you know. Let's not slight Fresno State. That's a that's one hell of a program there. That's why they're ranked twenty second in the country. That's one hell of a program, um, and that's why they're probably going to compete slash possibly win their conference this year. Uh, when I look at both teams, though, it comes down to, for me of who I trust more offensively. Uh, I, you know, Stanford. Yes, they were able to put up forty two points against USC. You know, dominant performance. Um, and anyway, they were able to do so. You know, on the offensive end, you know, Tanner McKee, 16-23, 234, two touchdowns. They were also able to run the football, running for three scores, while Nathaniel Pete ran for, you know, six carries, 115 yards. That's one, no, no, that's one heck of a night at the office. 
Uh, on the flip side, you look at UCLA, and you look at a team that I think knows its identity, and its identity offensively is DTR, whether that's with his legs or with his arm. You know, and, and you know, a, a sprinkling in of Zach Charbonnet. Last week, they were in a shootout, so you saw a, a, a less of uh, the appearance of Zach Charbonnet. But I think that this is a team that wants to be balanced. You saw that in the LSU matchup. You know, Dwayne Thompson Robinson threw for 260. You know, Zach Charbonnet ran for 117. Even Brenton Brown almost ran for 100 yards in that ball game. So you see, you know, that both of these teams want to play balanced. They don't want to turn this game into a shootout. They will if they have to, you know. Uh, but they don't want to. And I, and I think that this is going to be a really impressive game and a really fun game to watch because of that fact. I, I think you're going to, you know, this game is probably going to end up in more of a shootout fashion. So I'm really excited to see what Tanner McKee is able to do in, in, in really his first shootout. You know, this is a guy, um, you know, who, you know, as a sophomore, really is winning the job right now. You know, last year came in, you know, was, 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 you know, sparingly, you know, got barely any touches last year whatsoever. And now this year, he's looked pretty good. You know, he's thrown five touchdowns. He's thrown zero INTs at this point, over 570 yards in an entire year. And, you know, he's really trying to submit himself as the quarterback at Stanford. And what better way to do that than to win a, a shootout against a guy in Dorian Thompson Robinson, who, by all intents and purposes, could be a guy that gets drafted on day two this year in the NFL draft, you know, with all the talent. Uh, that he's shown on the field this year, and obviously he's now shown it even on a bigger stage by beating a team like LSU. So I'm torn in this game. I'll be honest with you; it's really tough for me to see you know who's gonna win. Uh, I, I think I'm gonna go with UCLA. They earned my respect. You know, yes, I'm I'm um you know I'm a Southern kid. I grew up in Georgia, so yes, I have some SEC bias. But, it, you know, it wasn't just that UCLA beat LSU. At times in that game, they dominated LSU. And that was the most impressive thing for me. And, yes, I understand it was on the road, you know, a Louisiana team going all the way over there. I understand, you know, the, obviously the jet lag and whatever. But I'm not I'm not here for the excuses. They dominated LSU. You know, and that was a very impressive win for me because of the way in which they did so. Uh, and, yes, I know they go on the road to Stanford. And that's a little cause for concern as this is really their first road test of the year uh, for UCLA, their first real road test. Uh, so that's a little bit of a concern to see how they'll play in a hostile environment, especially, you know, with them being ranked, they got a target on their back for the first time probably in a lot of their careers. So how do they handle that? But I think they're going to be able to do it. I think they're going to be able to win this game and really, you know, lay the gauntlet down to a USC team like, hey, we just we, we just went into Stanford and beat them, something y'all could not do this year. And, and so what's up? And it would just make that game at the end of the year, or, well, not the very end, but the second to last game of the year between them and UCLA that just that much more important because you genuinely think they could be the two teams that compete for the Pac-12 South, maybe outside of Arizona State. So I'm going to pick UCLA here. I love Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I love what that offense has become. I love what Zach Charbonnet has brought as a transfer. He's brought a physicality in the run game that I love as well. So I'm going to go with UCLA to win that game in Stanford. All right, going over to Xavier's second game, K-State against Oklahoma State. The line here is six for OK State. The over-under is 46. Uh, I mean, K-State coming off an impressive win. Oklahoma State uh, beat Boise State barely. Uh, fun game to watch there. Uh, how do you see this game playing out, Nick? Hey, our, our, uh, our two MVPs of, of week three, K-State and Oklahoma State, who we had winning, winning outright, our only, <laughs> basically our only good thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting game because Oklahoma State, 
our numbers in the preseason were pretty high on them. They've, they've fallen a bit, but they spent a good time in the top 20, uh, which was head-scratching at the time. Um, and they've won all their games so far, but they've fallen a little bit just because they haven't been that impressive. I mean, 58th overall in team performance, 77th offensively. We keep waiting for Spencer Sanders to break out, uh, but they're shorthanded. They're receiving core. They were without Braden Johnson and Tay Martin last week, arguably their two uh, best receivers. They've got a lot of freshmen playing a lot of snaps there. Uh, the running back situation, uh, they've had some injuries, but then they've also been kind of figuring out, you know, trying to figure out who's going to be the guy. Oklahoma State traditionally, if they've got a, you know, uh, a fully healthy running back, they kind of like to lean on on one guy, but they've had four sort of competing for that spot. Uh, maybe Jalen Warren, you know, took it last week with his, his huge game, 200 plus yards against Boise state really kind of helped turn the tide in that game. And, you know, the, the second quarter, um, but Oklahoma state, we mentioned Trey Sterling is out, uh, for the season. He's a, a 100 rated player, uh, important piece of that defense. They were already without, uh, Trace Ford, who was a, a 92-rated player in our individual player ratings, uh, who suffered an ACL injury uh, late in fall camp, I believe. Uh, and, and so he's out. So that's you know two of your three or four best defensive players from a solid defensive unit uh, who are now out for the year. So Oklahoma State is a team, you know, we, we know they're capable of, of jumping up and knocking somebody off. I mean, we've seen them be, you know, ranked Texas teams in the past. Uh, they sometimes can, can give Oklahoma a little bit of, of trouble. Uh, they just, they're, they're a difficult team to trust because it seems like they sometimes play down to weaker competition, but that they are capable of, of jumping up and, and knocking somebody off that maybe uh, you wouldn't expect. Kansas State, is similar and they are of course dealing with their own injuries at the quarterback position uh it seems like will howard and jaron lewis are maybe going to share that job uh in relief of uh skylar thompson so you know neither uh, at least yet in the in the first game even though they they won that game pretty uh easily against nevada uh you know, doesn't seem like either guy's really stepped up and, and taken control of that quite yet. But Deuce Vaughn is, you know, continuing uh, what was an incredible freshman season. Right now he looks like one of the very best running backs in college football. They've gotten a little bit of production from the receiver uh, spot, which was missing last year. But Malik Knowles and Phillip Brooks have both, uh, you know, stepped up, had had decent games. Uh, Daniel Amortabebe, their kind of co-starter at tight end, their, their better receiving tight end, only had one catch, but it was you know 70 yards and a touchdown yeah. uh, on the first play last week. So he's capable of, of uh, maybe a little bit more. Um, I need to see an update on Josh Rivas. He's their best uh, – well, he and Noah Johnson, the center, but left guard Josh Rivas, really highly graded uh, left guard the last couple of years, went down with a lower – body injury during the game. I haven't seen an update yet, but it didn't look great at first. And then they also lost a uh, starting pass rusher, Khalid Duke, 
to a low body injury out for the season. So did see an update on him. So maybe that means Revis, you know, maybe it's, it's not as, as big of an issue, uh, but something to, to be aware of, but uh, they're also not at full strength, obviously. So this is a, a fairly tricky one to, to figure out. And our numbers uh, are, are, a little bit, uh, not necessarily all over the place, but we give Oklahoma State a double-digit talent edge. Uh, but the stats-only model thinks it's a lot closer, closer to four points uh, than that. So our overall projection, we're on Oklahoma State uh, by more than a touchdown. Think that they, you know, should win this game. Uh, it is at home, correct? Um, and so, you know, that that is no, no, yes, it is at home. Sorry. Uh, and so I, I think this is a game that Oklahoma State should win. But like I said, they're just sort of a, a difficult team to fully trust, to take care of business uh, in games that they're supposed to to win. So it, it would not shock me at all if they lose this one outright. It would not uh, be a huge surprise if Oklahoma State has to kick a field goal to win it at the end. Uh, but this is also a game where Oklahoma State – should have the more talented team, arguably has the, the better team, uh, but just a difficult team to trust. So we've got at 33-24 Oklahoma State winning, uh, but similarly, I, I personally don't have a, a great read on it. Well, let's hear what Xavier has to say about it. We've got a battle of the states here. We've got Kansas State versus Oklahoma State um, in my second matchup of, of the weekend. And, and I picked this game because I think both teams have quietly gone under the radar. Um, obviously, the attention of the Big 12 is on Texas. It's on Oklahoma. It's on Iowa State this year. Um, but I feel like these are two teams that have gotten to the you know the 3-0 and mark in very differing ways. Uh, Oklahoma State has literally done it by the skin of their teeth every single week. Like, every single week. <laughs> They've won by a touchdown or less in all three weeks of the college football season so far, beating Missouri State 23-16, beating Tulsa 28-23, and beating, Oklahoma, and beating excuse me, Boise State 21-20 last week. Um, and and when, you, when you look at this team in Oklahoma State, you, you're looking at a team that's identity has changed a bit. You know, obviously, you know, when we think about Oklahoma State, we think about them throwing it around the yard, you know, tossing the ball, you know, 40, 50 times a game to guys like Des Bryant and uh, Justin Blackman back in the day, right? You know, that kind of offense. That's not how they're playing at the moment. You know, they're, they're running, they're smashing mouth football. You know, last week against Boise State, Spencer Sanders threw it 13 times, 13 for 82 yards. However, they ran for almost 300 yards between – Spencer Sanders and Jalen Warren, who put up 32 on 32 carries, Jalen Warren put up 218 big ones. You know, this is a team that has the ability to run in between the tackles and run it effectively. You know, and I think that that's a nuance, a part of Oklahoma State that I don't think a lot of people are paying attention to. You know, when you, you know, and that's, you know, why I picked this game as well, because I think this is going to be a really good test for a Kansas State team. That's a really going through the meat of their schedule, right? So this week they play Oklahoma State, you know, like we're talking about. Uh, in the following two weeks, they play Oklahoma and Iowa State. I think this is a nice little, like, you know, a little early test to see how good Kansas State can be. You know, is Kansas State the team that blew out Stanford in week one? Or is Kansas State more closer to the team that, you know, was able to, you know, hold off a Southern Illinois team in week two? We're going to find out this week. 
and, and more importantly, we're going to find out in the grand scheme of things over the next couple of weeks uh, when it comes to the Big 12. Because I think personally, if, and I think anybody can say this after watching Oklahoma over the last couple of weeks, uh, and obviously watching Iowa State in week one, or, or over the last couple of weeks as well, this the, the Big 12 is more up for grabs than I think people give it credit for. Um, you know, obviously we all came into the year thinking Oklahoma was just going to dominate and roll, and they have not done that yet. Uh, they have not shown even the propensity of going to do that yet. Um, so until they show that, you know, I, I'm I'm willing to say that the Big 12 is more up for grabs than we probably originally thought. And these are two teams, um, especially Kansas State, that I think has an opportunity to kind of sneak in there uh, and at the very least possibly make their first conference title uh, appearance in a very long time. Heck. I was Tyler Lockett on the last team that made it to the conference title game. Maybe, maybe, maybe not even then. And maybe I'm just you know having you know thoughts of grandeur about Tyler Lockett's career at Kansas State. Uh, but you know this is a Kansas State team that I genuinely think you know has the makings of a team. And I talked about this in the Oklahoma conversation that could upset Oklahoma. Uh, and you know they're gonna have to you know they're gonna go to Oklahoma State this weekend. You know they're gonna go to Bedlam. Or no, not to Bedlam, excuse me. <laughs> They're going to be going to Boone Pickett Stadium uh, and, and having opportunity to, sh- you know, win their first game of, of two, you know, win their first game against Oklahoma State, you know, and it's going to be a good, it's going to be a good test for both ball clubs. Um, and, and, you know, when you look at it from an Oklahoma State side, this is a team that, you know, probably feels like it's a bit battle tested. You know, they played a Boise State team last week. They were able to, to grind that one out. And, and they've been, they, they, they know that they can grind out wins. You know, they know that if the game gets close, they can still handle their own. And that's very important in a game against Kansas State. That's probably going to be much, you know, much of the same. It's going to be much of a slugfest. You know, I don't expect this game to be a 41, you know, 34 kind of matchup. This is going to be like 24 20, 27 20. And it's going to come down to a couple of possessions. Uh, where some teams need some big plays down the stretch to really win this ball game. Slash, you know, a team just has to hold on for dear life, you know, after after getting a, a pretty substantial lead and the, and, the, and the other team working its way back into the game. Uh, for Oklahoma State, they need to go ahead and win this game as well. You know, their big games are spread out a little bit more, but with that being the case, you know, you know, they they still have some trap games in there, right? So after they play Kansas State, they host Baylor, who's undefeated at this point. You know, then they play Texas on the road. And I think a lot of people have, like, just wiped Texas off the face of the planet since losing to Arkansas. But Texas is still somebody who can compete in the Big 12. Like, their season's not done yet, right? Then right after that, they play Iowa State. So they're where, where they don't have maybe the numbers and the, the names like, you know, Kansas State has. And they're following two to three games. They still have a lot. They still have some big games on their schedule coming up. And it's going to go a long way for Oklahoma State if they're able to knock off a ranked opponent. Um, this week, you know, in Kansas State. Uh, as far as this game is concerned and who I'm going to choose, I'm going to go with Kansas State here. They've just been the more impressive team so far. And not only on the offensive end, but also on the defensive end. You know, they were able to hold a Stanford team that put up 42 points against uh, USC to seven. You know, they, they took a guy in Carson Strong, who a lot of people have as a possible sleeper first-round draft pick, to, you know, 27 to 42, 62, a pick and a touchdown last week. You know, and held Nevada who is a pretty high-scoring offense, to 17 points, right? Um, you know, and this was a Nevada team that beat California in week one and put up 49 points in week two. They come into week three against Kansas State and put up 17. So I think Kansas State has been the more impressive team. And also, you've got to speak to the fact that offensively, they look pretty impressive as well. 38 points for Kansas State is a wide 
margin uh, of what Kansas State does week in and week out. You know, and the fact that they've been able to put up 30 plus points in the last two games, you know, 20, you know, 24 plus in all three games uh, this year is is a good sign. You know, and you know, I finally feel like they have who they want to have at the quarterback position in Will Howard. You know, I feel like he has, you know, that that's the guy. I feel like, you know, Skylar Thompson still has an opportunity to go to 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 win the job, but I feel like right now it's really, you know, Will Howard's to lose after Skylar Thompson kind of didn't play all that well in the first two matchups, and Will Howard also obviously had a pretty, you know, good, you know, debut, quote unquote, uh, last week against Nevada as kind of the the, the guy. Um, you know, Jaron Lewis had a couple of snaps, but nothing significant. Will Howard last week was the guy. So I expect him to be the guy this week as well against Oklahoma State, especially on the road. Um, and I'm going to go with Kansas State. They've been the more impressive team so far. And maybe Oklahoma State's able to find out another way to grind one out. And we and we talk about Oklahoma State kind of like in the same vein that we talked about Tulsa last year. A team that sticks around, sticks around, sticks around. And once you finally make that mistake, they jump on it and they're able to win the ball game. Uh, I don't think that that will be the, the case this week. I think Kansas State's able to win this ball game. All right, going over to the games that you picked. You picked these big ones here, Nick. And we'll start out with uh, Notre Dame versus Wisconsin in Soldier Field. Now, I don't actually know what the line is on this because from what I've read is it opened as Wisconsin by about a touchdown, but I am now seeing on at least betting pros that it has flipped to Notre Dame by a point and a half. So this line to me is kind of all over the damn place. Are you seeing that anywhere, Nick? So uh, just so, so I I have the we always use the Vegas Insider consensus when okay. we project and and just Vegas Insider as a site lists seven or eight different books uh, and at least as of right this second like at six and a half at Caesar six at Circa uh, six and a half at FanDuel uh, six and a half at, at DraftKings so I'm I I don't know I'm not sure what uh, what what I have is 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 pretty uh, different <laughs> i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna go to uh bet mgm right now and just see if i can look it up uh all right so okay yeah you, so your line is right just the thing i was looking at i guess is wrong so uh wisconsin by six and a half is the line here so um six and a half the over under is 46 and a half uh it's in a neutral site how do you see this game playing out nick also i i was willing to i mean it would have been a, a huge move and what 12 hours or whatever uh but i was willing to believe it <laughs> when you said it got a lot closer because we're uh not that we moved the market by any stretch but uh last night we released our projections we have notre dame favored and i don't you know after last week my confidence is basically shot so i don't know if i necessarily trust that but you know wrong team favorite has been decent for us uh and i know notre dame has not been super impressive i mean they uh certainly aren't near the preseason projections or expectations of an oklahoma and ohio state a clemson but they've they've kind of been in that same vein of Playing games a little too close. I mean, Florida State, who does not look good, right, uh, uh, had a chance to win that game in week one. Uh, Toledo, who then ends up losing to Colorado State the next week, uh, had a, a late lead in the fourth quarter. 
Uh, last week against Purdue, they were able to, to you know, pull away and, and cover. Uh, but even that, you know, wasn't the most impressive game. Notre Dame has really been dealing with a lot of injuries on the offensive line, uh, in the back seven defensively. I mean, they've got several, I mean, several linebackers who are out for an extended period of time, not necessarily guys who are expected to start or, or be stars, but, you know, the, the depth has really taken a hit. And this was a team, like I said, that, you know, expectations weren't huge in part because they lost so much last year. So it is a little bit surprising to me that we have Notre Dame favored. I, I knew that our projections were a little bit higher on Notre Dame than what sort of the, the feeling publicly uh, was. And then we, you know, our, our numbers, I, I feel like, do respect Wisconsin. And, and even though Wisconsin uh, lost in week one, um, you know, played a, a solid game against Eastern Michigan, pretty dominant defensive performance against Eastern Michigan, but then they were off last week. So, you know, in part, maybe it's, it's because we just don't have a, a big uh, amount of information on Wisconsin. Uh, their team performance rating is a little lower uh, through two games, uh, you know, they're 35th overall in defensive team performance after ranking 15th in the last three years. So that's brought them down just a little bit as we kind of, you know, shift uh, our weight from previous years to more and more in 2021. They're only 70th in offensive team performance, 107th passing an offensive team performance, but their defensive numbers are, are solid. I mean, they're top 25 level, both against the pass and the run so far, and they're actually eighth in overall defensive team performance. Their talent profile is not quite, you know, to the, the level of Notre Dame. Notre Dame is basically a top 20 roster, uh, the way we calculate things, and uh, Wisconsin is more in that, you know, 30 to, to 35 range. And that I guess is, is the biggest piece of the puzzle here, even though I think, you know, we all agree that Wisconsin is capable of playing much better uh, than their, you know, talent profile would suggest. But again, I mean, injuries are just a, a, a constant thing uh, this time of the year, but Wisconsin has uh, a starting corner, Fayon Hicks, probably their best uh, starting corner or, or, you know, probably their best defensive back for sure. Um, might, might not play questionable. Colin Wilder uh, safety is questionable. Um, they have had some injuries already at, at the linebacker position. seems like they're getting healthier there, but um, you know, both teams again uh, are less than a hundred percent. And with Wisconsin, you know, one fewer game of of, uh, uh, of, of information. Uh, it's hard to know exactly where to, to put them. I, I think the uh, the early bye week probably helps them a little bit. You know, maybe able to to figure some things out, spend an extra week on Notre Dame. Uh, that probably you know gives them uh, a little bit of an advantage coming in the neutral site. You know, I, I'm I'm guessing uh, pretty close to actually neutral, but maybe in Chicago you give a slight edge to Notre Dame. So I don't, you know, I, I think the teams are are actually 
fairly well, fairly evenly matched. I certainly understand why Wisconsin is favored. Uh, I don't know that I agree, even though it's like a quarter of a point. Don't necessarily know that I agree that we should have Notre Dame favored, but you know, see a, a fairly uh, big edge there, and and all three models do agree. And even though you know last week was a real uh, shot to to the ego in in that scenario. Uh, so it's, it's difficult to, you know, tell you to, to necessarily trust it, but we do have Notre Dame with a pretty big talent edge, uh, of more than a touchdown. And then the stats only model is, is fairly close. Wisconsin, you know, has about a point and a, a third, um, of an edge there. So well within the six points. So, you know, I, I, I think I am glad that we're on Notre Dame plus the six and a half. Um, I can certainly you know, think of a scenario where Notre Dame wins this game outright, but I, I think it should be uh, a pretty fun one and, and a little little difficult to necessarily wrap my head fully around it. Uh, but I, I think I'm happy that we're on Notre Dame at least plus the six and a half. Our, our prediction is 25-24 Notre Dame. I think if I were to, uh, you know, make my, my – completely leave the numbers out of it, make my own prediction. I think maybe 24-21 Wisconsin, uh, but even that's covering. So I, I, I think we're on the right side with Notre Dame, uh, but it's also, you know, it's also possible we're, we're uh, overrating Notre Dame just a little bit. I mean, uh, I just i am going to refrain from my opinion of Notre Dame because it's been wrong the entire season. So let's hear what Xavier has to say about them. So this week we're talking about Notre Dame and Wisconsin. I mean, I think it comes down to the same old situation with these two teams. Who can stop the run and which quarterback sucks the least? And I mean that not to be slanderous to either Graham Mertz or to Jack Cohn. But when you look at both teams, you realize that their run games is where they, you know, where they lay their head at night. And and what makes their teams go, especially on the offensive end. And what team is going to be able to break, to, to bend but not break defensively? Because you're going to give up big time runs. You're going to give up the occasional you know 20 yarder. You're going to give up the occasional 15 yarder. Who? What team is going to allow that 20 yarder in a drive, but then get the three and out, or then stop them for a field goal? Uh, and I think that could be the the last point is which team has better red zone success? Because ultimately, when you think about each team, their biggest issue has not necessarily been moving the football, but it's been what they do with those drives. Let's start with Notre Dame, and we're going to start there. Jack Cohn has looked good um, in a lot of their games, but their defense has not. Um, Their defense has been woeful, uh, especially first week of the season against Florida State. They weren't that much better against Toledo, who ran all over them uh, at the tune of 126 yards, or excuse me, 150 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, from a Notre Dame perspective, Jack Cohn looked okay in that game. But, I mean, he gave you Jack Cohn-esque numbers. You know, 21 of 33, 239, two touchdowns and an INT. Yeah, you're expecting maybe Jack Cohn to not have an interception against Toledo. However, that's what probably Jack Cohn's going to give you on a nightly basis. 225 yards, 250 yards and and under, two touchdowns, and he's going to give you about, you know, 60% completion percentage. That's what Jack Cohn's going to give you. And Notre Dame's defense, I think, is starting to understand that. 
Um, yes, he had the anomaly in game one against Florida State where he threw for almost 400 yards, four touchdowns. That's not Jack Cohn. You know, that was just Florida State. That was just a, a shootout in which Notre Dame could not run their offense in which they really wanted to, which is a heavy dose of Kyron Williams. And this is where, for me, Notre Dame has to be able to have balance against Wisconsin or they will not win the ball game. We understand that Kyron Williams is the best player on that team. That's who they want to go to. That's who they want to give the ball to. Uh, in their last game against Purdue, he had 12 carries for 91 yards and a touchdown. On the flip side of that, understanding that most teams are going to pack the box and Wisconsin's going to be no different. They're going to put seven or eight and force Jack Cohn and those receivers, more importantly, to beat them one-on-one on the outside. And I don't. And if they can't, and what I mean by they, I mean Jack Cohn and those receivers, it's going to be a long afternoon for, for, for Notre Dame in this ballgame because ultimately... Kyron Williams can only get started once that passing game opens up. You know, once Jack Cohn makes a couple completions, forces those DBs to back up, forces those linebackers to adjust to the idea of Jack Cohn actually throwing the ball over their heads, that they can't just pin their ears back and, and run downhill. That is what makes Notre Dame really, really good and really special this year. On their defensive end, I'm looking for them to finally put together a game in which at no point do I feel like it's there's an upset alert. You know, even last week against Purdue, you get into the third quarter and it was, you know, and it's 13-17 at the end of the third going into the fourth quarter. That's not up, you know, that's still upset alert worthy. And I'm waiting for Purdue, I'm sorry, not Purdue. I'm waiting for Notre Dame's defense to put together a game in which they shut down. They shut it down and leave no question marks whatsoever about who was the better defense on that day. And ultimately helping Notre Dame show that they're one of the best teams in the country. Up until this point, you genuinely feel like Notre Dame could easily have dropped week and week and week in. And they're 3-0. And, and, and the fact that they won all three of their games and you still think that they should be probably lower on the AP poll, maybe in the 15 range, 16, shows the lack of you know dominance that they've showed uh, week in and week out. And I'm waiting for that dominant game from Notre Dame. I'm waiting for it. Maybe it's going to be this week. Maybe not. But I'm waiting for a dominant performance from this Notre Dame ball club um, that hasn't seen too many drop-offs and too many positions on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, on the defense side of the ball, they lose a lot of veteran leadership and a lot of talented players. Uh, they still feature Kyle Hamilton, uh, who's been a stud for them. But, of course, they lost a lot of players up front uh, and in that front seven. However, on the offensive end, you know, you're expecting you know a better outing than 27 points against a Purdue team. You just are. Um, especially when that game is at home, you know, you're just expecting a little bit better of a, you know, of an outfit, you know, maybe 40, 13, maybe even 34 or 38, 4 or 13, you know, more, more of a dominant performance. When we move to Wisconsin and obviously, you know, they're, they're, they're contestant for this week. You're looking at a team that I'm once again, waiting to see them put it all together. Like Notre Dame, they have yet to put together a complete game. Yeah. They played Eastern Michigan last week. I don't count that game. I never count games in which you're playing a lesser team. But even then, they didn't put together a complete game in all facets of the game. Right? They ran the ball uber effectively, running for almost 300 uh, yards from you know, and and four touchdowns. But Graham Mertz, 14 of 17, 141 yards against Eastern Michigan. You know, I understand. You know, Wisconsin has tightened the leash around him a little bit. Uh, you know, since last season and, and he's in there they're, they're trying to protect their quarterback from I think a lot of the, the the struggles that he faced last year which was they kind of gave him the reins too early and he kind of went off the deep end with it 
but what you have to understand is he's going to have to pass the ball in these big games. You're not going to be able to run for 300 yards on this Notre Dame defense. You're just not. Like, that's just not going to be a thing that is, you know, that's possible. And you can even look at it from a game-to-game basis. You know, Florida State had uber success running the football, right? But, you know, they still had to make the passes and make the throws when they counted. And that's my biggest concern with Graham Mertz. Can he make the throws when they count? You know, it's one thing to be able to go 14 of 17. You blow out a team by 27. You know, all things look gold, right? That's one thing. It's another thing when it's third and eight. It's a tie ball game or you're down by three or you're down by seven or you're down by 14 and you need it. Can Grant Mertz give it to me right now? And I'm not so sure he can. Um, I think Wisconsin's going to have success on the ground. But how much success that is, it, it is to be seen, Right. You look at the Florida State game, you go, wow, you know, Jordan Travis and, and company and Joshua Corbin, they ran all over them, right? Well, let's be honest, and, and this, isn't no, this is no slander to Wisconsin. Florida State's got better athletes. So, of course, they have an element there that, that Wisconsin doesn't have, which is outside athletes that can get the ball and take a five-yard throw and turn it into, you know, a 45-yard gain or take a, you know, a swing route or a bubble or a hitch and go upfield. Which means as a defense, you have to play for that and you can't just sit, you know, four yards off the ball as a DB and just play press man all night, right? Because they have those kind of athletes. Wisconsin doesn't feature those kind of athletes on the outside. And so I see Notre Dame much more reluctant to not put seven in the box and say, beat us with your throw in Graham Mertz because Graham Mertz has not shown, hell, he has yet to show in his college career a game, in my opinion, in which he showed that he could dominate a game and win you a ball game in a big matchup. And that's why I'm going to go with Notre Dame. Notre Dame, even though they haven't shown me a complete game, I trust the pieces in which they have at their at the most important positions. Positions. I trust Jack Cohn over Graham Mertz. I trust Kyron Williams in that running game. Um, I trust Kyron Williams more so than maybe I trust the platoon that they have at Wisconsin. And I trust that defense to get more stops. You know, when I watch, you know, I went back and watched the Wisconsin versus Penn State matchup. And I'll be genuinely honest with you. Penn State should have won that game by a lot more. Penn State kind of played around with it, played around with it, and then by the end figured it out. But Graham Mertz was awful in that ballgame. You know, 202 of 37, a buck 85, and two interceptions. You know, whereas on the other end, Sean Clifford didn't throw a single pick. Sean Clifford, you know, also threw for over 50%, you know, and outside of a, a maligned running game in that, in that game. Penn State got what they wanted from the passing game. You know, at least from what they want from Sean Clifford. And I think we're going to see a similar thing to, to, to Jack Cohn. You're going to see an outing in which he throws about 30 to 35 passes, 18 of 20, you know, 18 to 21 completions, and probably closer to 300 yards and two touchdowns. And if Notre Dame can get those kind of numbers from Jack Cohn and get, you know, 95 yards from Kyron Williams, I think they win this ballgame. It's going to be a slugfest. It's going to be ugly. I think this final score is somewhere around the, the, the 24 to 20 range or the 24-17 or even maybe a 21-13 kind of matchup. But I think Notre Dame wins this game uh, at the end of the day. All right, last game up here, Nick, is the one in Jared World. Texas A&M versus Arkansas, who is ranked now. Uh, the Aggies are a five-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is 48 uh, this one seems like a real fun game. A&M on a backup quarterback. Arkansas looking pretty good so far this season. So uh, how do we see this one playing out in uh, Dallas? So I knew we were going to talk about this one, uh, and I got I got first pick this week, which is why why I picked the big games. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
this this is uh, one that I certainly could have mentioned in the you know what line has you most confused or what line is too good to be true because on the one hand our projections are all over Texas A&M on this one uh, we have them favored by nine and a half officially uh, our talent edge projection on this one is double digits and our stats only model projection on this is, is double digits so this is a game that on paper uh is you know if we did the the best bet lock of the week this would be in the conversation for that uh however uh and i know it was against georgia southern who's you know not a great team uh anyway is also dealing with plenty of injuries and turnover and, and things like that but I, I did watch uh, a replay of, of the Arkansas game against Georgia Southern and, you know, caught a little bit, uh, watched the, the game against Texas Live, which was, of course, probably the more, um, you know, educational, I guess. Arkansas looks really good. I mean, they, they look better than their numbers would indicate. And they rank top 10 in team performance. They rank top seven. Uh, they're seventh in defensive team performance. Uh, top 40 offensively. And, and I think even that, you know, they are a better offense than a top 40 offense. KJ Jefferson has been very impressive uh, through his, you know, first few games as a full-time starter. I'll say he's uh, yeah. I mean, he, he, he looks like a prototypical quarterback uh, like NFL, you know, draft pick type guy, six, three, two forty. Uh, he can be a productive runner, just because he's so big and difficult to bring down. Um, I was fairly impressed with Malik Ornsby in relief against Georgia Southern. I mean, he's, he's a different type of productive runner, but he's somebody who is, uh, is very quick. And, you know, they, if they want to bring him in uh, as a changeup every once in a while, I can certainly see that. But the running backs, uh, the freshman running backs have been very impressive. Uh, Raheem Sanders, AJ Green, uh, Dominique Johnson, the sophomore, the 240-pounder, had a big game, really hard runner, difficult to bring down. And then Traylon Smith, still the best of the group. Uh, but they're deep at that position, and it looked like, you know, on paper and the way our numbers uh, stack up, that's their weak spot, right, is the running back position. But that might actually be their strength. I mean, it's very deep, and all those guys have, have been impressive. They're just young. So our, our you know uh, – Player ratings just haven't quite caught up yet to, to how good that they are can be. The receiving core, I mean, Traylon Burks started slow first couple of games. Had a big game last week, uh, but he's one of the best receivers in all of college football. Um, and they're pretty deep there. Got a couple of transfers that, you know, added some depth. Davion Warren looks healthy after missing uh, some time in the past. And, and that offensive line, both lines of scrimmage, uh, that was the key for Arkansas coming into this year because they were both poor performing units in 2020, the offensive line and the defensive line. They have, I think, fixed it uh, on both sides. The The offensive line, they're 52nd right now in O-line performance rating. That's not obviously, you know, that's, that's fairly mediocre nationally, but that's a big, big improvement over last year when they were in triple digits. And I think they actually look a little bit better than those numbers would indicate. Uh, the concern is Ricky Stromberg went down with an injury and did not return last week. Um, so need to, to 
you know, see what his situation is. I know he was walking around on the sideline after the game, so hopefully he'll be back. But he's their starting center, one of the better uh, players, uh, certainly up front. So, you know, I, I think they'll be okay there. The defensive line, they went all in on the transfer portal, have three transfers starting, and it's paid off in a, in a pretty big way uh, so far. So, uh, you know, I, I think they look uh, much improved there. And in the back seven, they're among the best in the SEC. Jalen Catalan, All-American safety, one of my absolute favorite players. And they've got some linebackers that just are incredibly, incredibly productive. I mean, you know, Hayden Henry was National Player of the Week uh, for his performance against Texas. Grant Morgan's an All-SEC guy, former walk-on, but all he does is just rack up a ton of tackles. Um, I mean, they're they're a solid uh, defense and and you know, capable of playing at a, at a really high level. They're only 26 in our power ratings, but I actually uh, got a, a, you know, a share of, of Arkansas uh, 250 to one to win the national championship. <laughs> Cause I, you know, I was talking to, you know, how, how you convince yourself of something. Uh, I, I think Arkansas looked really good. And even though our numbers, you know, think that they will lose this game against Texas A&M by a touchdown or more, I absolutely could see them beating Texas A&M. Texas A&M is similar to some of those other teams that we talked about where they just haven't quite played up to expectations. They're dealing with some injuries, and I Smith is banged up. They've already lost their starting quarterback, Haynes King. Uh, you know, to an injury, and, and Calzada had a big game. Zach Calzada had a big game last week, but you know they're they're missing two starters on the offensive line last week. Uh, they're missing multiple impact players in the secondary last week. Uh, so Texas A and M is a top ten team in our ratings, and they're a top ten defense on the field. Uh, but they are are far from a perfect team here. And Arkansas is just playing at a really high level and something, again, uh, very, very difficult to quantify, even though we do have head coach ratings. We, we try to put a little bit of, of something on it. But Sam Pittman is, is a head coach that guys love playing for, it seems like. And so it, it seems at least, uh, you know, my, my watching uh, how the, the players react on the sideline, watching how hard they play, uh, that maybe this Arkansas team is a little bit better than the numbers would indicate. And so their roster, you know, their roster strength is not near national championship caliber. Uh, and they are not going to win the national championship. I know that. Um, they've got too tough of a schedule to, to navigate. Uh, but, you know, they can, they can match up with a Texas A&M. They gave Georgia some trouble last year. Ole Miss is not a perfect team. Uh, Auburn, you know, is beatable, we've seen. Uh, and LSU, for sure. Alabama isn't necessarily the uh, greatest team of all time like they were last year. So could Arkansas knock off a few of those teams that they're maybe not supposed to and, and make some noise, get up into the top ten? Uh, by November, and, and then maybe I've, I've, you know, at least got a little bit of, of uh, uh, value with that 250 to one and, and can kind of play it 
uh, off of you know somebody else. I don't know. It, it probably was throwing uh, a little bit of money away. But, you know, again, I could kind of talk myself into this Arkansas team being a problem for some of those top tier uh, SEC teams. And, and so it's probably a year too early. But I'm getting I'm getting excited about this Arkansas program, and it would not it would not surprise me at all. They're going to have to to replace uh, some some big guys in in the receiving core, and probably a couple on defense as well. But this might be you know that that second best team in the SEC West in 2022. Um, and so could they arrive a year early? Uh, I'm not sure. But this absolutely, I think, is a, is a game that they could win. So I, I, I know we're on Texas A&M. It's in all three agree. And hopefully our numbers are right because we need it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But this is going to be a really, really fun game to watch just because of how impressed I've been with Arkansas so far this year. And haven't been super impressed with Texas A&M yet. Texas A&M can absolutely turn it on. They started slow last year. Played way too close, you know, against Vanderbilt in Week One last year. They were they they struggled with a Colorado team that Minnesota beat thirty to nothing last week. So yeah, I mean it, it's it's understandable why people might be uh, souring a little bit on Texas A and M. Our numbers still think that they're going to be uh, maybe the second best team in the SEC West this year, but it's going to be an exciting game because either either A and M you know, plays up to its uh, potential and, and starts to look like that maybe playoff contending team, or we get an, ex, you know, another impressive performance from Arkansas to where they, they kind of arrive maybe as a, a bit of a disruptive force in the SEC. So I, I don't have a great, you know, I don't know which way it's going to go. Hopefully Texas A&M wins impressively. But if not, maybe maybe then I get a little more excited about that Arkansas two hundred fifty to one, which is which is dumb, I know, but uh, it, it's going to be a fun game. I'm excited. Let's hear what Xavier has to say about it. A and M Arkansas has got to be one of the weirdest phenomena of college football this year so far. I, I genuinely think that. Um, on one end, you've got A and M, who a lot of people have deemed as the Alabama stopper, or at least a competitor for Alabama going into this year that was in the West. Obviously, that was before everybody saw what happened in the Florida game this past weekend. Uh, but genuinely thinking coming into the year that, you know, A&M was going to be this, you know, this competitor for Alabama. And that was the level that everybody was holding A&M to. You know, essentially, you know, the number two team in the SEC West. And for some people, the number two team in the SEC, possibly. They have not shown that uh, up until this point this year for me. You know, this has been a team that has kind of sleptwalked through their first three games. Um, Not looking, you know, particularly dominant in all of them. Uh, More, you know, obviously, you know, when I I say that, I'm talking about the Colorado game where they just looked like they were flat, but also like Colorado kind of was able to dominate a little bit. Um, You know, especially against their running game, you know, they they weren't really able to get it going. And and Texas A&M this year, you you think offensively with how young they are at the quarterback position, they're going to have to lean on their running game. You know, Isaiah Spiller, Anais Smith, you know, uh, Devon uh, Aiken, Zach Calzada, you know, who also is a quarterback. You know, you're thinking that they're going to have to lean on their running game a little bit. And the fact that they were not able to do that against the Colorado team definitely causes for concern when you're talking about an Arkansas team 
who one word has really summed up how they played this year. Physical. Physical football. Sam Pittman has those guys playing physical ball down there. Um, and that's when, you know, and, and to just hit on that point, that's the complete opposite of Arkansas. You know, we, we talked about Arkansas coming into this year, possibly being a team that makes a bowl run. You know, possibly a team that can go, you know, 6-6. Six and six. You know, maybe they're even a team that surprises a few folks and go 7-5. and five. But ranked 16 by week 4? I don't think anybody in the country saw it outside of possibly Arkansas and maybe Paul Feinbaum. You know, and I'm just making a joke about Paul Feinbaum. I just want to use his name on the podcast. Uh, but I don't think anybody saw them dominating Texas in which they did. And being as dominant in the games in which they played as well. You know, when, I, when, when we talk about dominance this early on in the year, you got to show it in those non-conference games. Yes, they're against G5 teams. Yes, in some cases, they're against FCS teams. But if that's the case, then you got to go out there and dominate. Or and and to throw that in there as well, lesser P five teams, you gotta go out there and dominate, and they've done that. You know, they they blew out Georgia Southern last week by thirty five. They blew out Rice by twenty one in the game one. You know, obviously, you know the more impressive, the most impressive one was beating a Texas team right off the back of them beating a ranked Louisiana team in week two. Um, with this game being in Arkansas, you know, with this game being at a neutral site, and when I say neutral, I definitely give air quotes because I don't know how neutral of a site AT and T Stadium is when it's in Texas. And Texas A&M is in Texas. But, you know, uh, I don't know how neutral of a site it is. Obviously, people from their respective places, Fayetteville and and College Station, can tell me, you know, the distance in between or the distance to AT&T Stadium. And it might be more neutral than I think it is. Uh, But for for this game, I I think you're going to see another smash mouth game this weekend. And I know I said the same thing about, you know, Notre Dame versus Wisconsin, but I think you're going to get another one here at end of 330 hour where you're going to see two teams who want to play physical and who want to who want to win in between the trenches and run the football. You're not going to see a shootout in this ball game, you know, and you know, I'd be genuinely surprised if it all of a sudden turns into a shootout because I genuinely think the best parts of each of these teams is what they're able to do in between the tackles, offensively and defensively. You know, you look at Arkansas. This is a team that's going to run with quarterback run with running back and that's what they're going to do you know when they beat texas they beat the, they score 40 points right the quarterback didn't throw a touchdown he didn't throw 20 times he didn't even throw for 150 yards they ran the air out of the football and they punched texas in the mouth and they're gonna and that's the same thing that they're gonna try to do to a&m and, and on the flip side a&m who probably has a little bit more trust in their passing attack going into this week after a pretty uh, impressive performance from Zach, from Zach Calzada last week <clears throat> in the passing game. You think that, you know, they have a little bit more trust in him to throw the football if need be. This is still a team. <clears throat> this is still a team that wants to run the football. This is still a team that wants to get Isaiah Spiller 15 to 25 carries. Have him run for over 100 yards. Use that platoon of, you know, a, a four or five star running backs that they have at their disposal. Obviously, they've got guys like Demond Demas, who I think has one of the best names in football. You know, DD. Um, you know, and, and he plays like it. But I think, you know, both of these teams' identity is running the football and stopping the run. I mean, obviously, you talk about some of the players up front for for um, Texas A&M, like Demarvin Leal, of course. And when you look at Arkansas on the flip side, obviously, dogs up front as well. And when you think about both coaches. You got Sam Pittman, who's an O-line specialist in his entire time in college football. So obviously he's a trench guy. And Jimbo Fisher's always been a guy who wants to win in between the trenches. I mean, talk about some of the great teams he had at Florida State. Yeah, they had Jameis, but they also had guys like Devontae Freeman and Dalvin Cook. So this is gonna be a game that's gonna be very that's gonna be won within the trenches. And whoever can keep their quarterback upright and and not even 
you know, bludgeon the other team on the, in the run game, but maybe wear them down. And, and by the fourth quarter, those three and four yard rushes start turning into seven and eight. And all of a sudden you break one for 25. And then, oh my God, you've gotten some momentum. That's where I think, you know, this is how, that's how I think this game is going to go. I do have this strange feeling that Texas A&M has kind of just been waiting for a, some, a game to get up for. Uh, I feel like when a young ball club that's deemed, you know, that's give, that's deemed the chosen team so very early on can sometimes smell themselves too early and, you know, need a big game to play up. And that's why I'm I'm kind of getting that feeling in this game that Texas A&M is going to play up to their actual potential and we're going to see Texas A&M really handle business here. So that's why I'm going to go with A&M here. I think from a talent perspective, A&M just has much more talent than uh, Arkansas. And as good as Arkansas has been, I don't think that they've played a team maybe walking in with as much swagger and as much confidence as A&M has. Obviously, Texas after week one was wa- walking in with a lot of swagger, but they were walking into you know, a hostile environment. They were going to Arkansas, you know, the Razorback Stadium. This is not the same. You know, A&M is, is in a neutral site in AT&T Stadium, bright lights, ranked versus ranked, you know, uh, big time matchup. You know, and I think this is what A&M and especially what Jimbo Fisher has kind of been waiting for, for his to see what his team's really made of. And so we'll see on Saturday night. I wouldn't be surprised if Arkansas wins this game. And I wouldn't even consider it an, up, an upset because of how early on it is in the season and what we've already seen from Arkansas this year. I just have this strange feeling that A&M is, has been waiting for this moment to really show the country what they're made of and send a message to Alabama, who they play in two weeks, that, yo, we're here and we're going to compete for the SEC West, you know, ourselves. Uh, so I'm going to go with A&M here. Uh, I, I just, like I said, I just feel like more talent, and they've been waiting for this moment. All right, Nick, wrapping up here. What do we got on all three agrees for this? Ooh, well, so I don't know if you want to fade these <laughs> or uh, or what, but we'll go we'll go through them quickly. We've got a lot, too many. Uh, we already mentioned Notre Dame plus six and a half. We're on LSU minus two and a half at Mississippi State. FIU has has been a problem for us, but we're on them again. FIU plus ten. Toledo. Minus four and a half. That's a weird one on the road against Ball State, who looks bad defending MAC champs. Uh, and Toledo was awful last year or last week against Colorado State. So that's a weird game. But uh, we're on Toledo minus four and a half. Uh, we've mentioned Texas A&M minus five and a half. Clemson minus ten. This one surprised me. Baylor plus seven at home against Iowa State. Baylor is playing. I think they're second in team performance. Uh, so they might be, you know, a little overrated right right now, but we're on Baylor plus seven against Iowa State. Rutgers plus 20 against Michigan. Michigan looks awesome. Uh, Rutgers looks much improved. They are, they are really – they've really been fortunate. Turnover luck has really been in Rutgers' favor, uh, but that's, that's an intriguing one to me. I, I like what I've seen out of Rutgers so far. They might get blown out, but but we're on Rutgers plus 20. Kansas plus 16. I don't know. That's a weird one. Uh, Arkansas State has been a, a real weird team this year. We're on Arkansas State plus 13.5. UCLA minus 4.5 we mentioned. We're on Old Dominion again, unfortunately. Uh, ODU plus 13.5. Tennessee plus 20 against Florida. This That one kind of intrigues me a little bit because Florida came up uh, you know, short last week against Alabama, didn't necessarily take care of business as as 
uh, impressively as they could have in the first two games, I think Tennessee might be able to hang with Florida a little bit. You know, maybe maybe you let that Alabama loss again. This is, you know, kind of trying to talk yourself into it. But uh, maybe you let the Alabama loss bleed over a little bit into the next week. So I, I'm glad we're on Tennessee plus 20. Uh, Nebraska plus five against Michigan State. Michigan State, I, I just gushed about Arkansas. I, if we had more time, would gush plenty <laughs> about Michigan State. I've, I'm, I might be a Michigan State fan now. Uh, but this is a tricky spot. I'm kind of glad we're on Nebraska plus five. Nebraska has an outright talent edge and the stats model uh, has them winning outright. So that's, that's an intriguing one. I, I think we could see Michigan State similarly you know, maybe they got a little too good too soon, and, and maybe Nebraska uh, is able to, to you know surprise some people and knock them off here this week. I, I would, I think Nebraska could win that game outright. Uh, North Texas plus twelve. North Texas is, you know, it seems like FIU, Old Dominion, and North Texas, unfortunately, are all threes every week, and they have just not been good for us. So <laughs> I, I hate that. Uh, FAU plus four and a half. I saw a real smart. Uh, uh, stats guy that I follow, uh, Ed Fang with the power rank. Uh, his best model, he says, has FAU winning outright at Air Force. So that's that's a kind of a weird one. Uh, but we're on FAU plus four and a half. ULM plus 24. Uh, don't necessarily know how to feel about it. <laughs> Washington minus seven and a half. Uh, we mentioned. And then this one is a wrong team favored and an all three agree. So it's a big one for us. We've been wrong about UTEP already this year, but we're on New Mexico to win that game outright. So that's, that's kind of a, a weird one. Uh, and then real quick, the, the wrong team favored BC. I don't love that one. We have BC beating Mizzou outright. Uh, I mentioned San Jose state mentioned UTSA mentioned Notre Dame mentioned New Mexico, and then UAB, that's a weird one, uh, UAB at Tulane. I know people are, are real high on Tulane after their performance against Oklahoma. Our numbers don't quite believe it, and UAB got just absolutely hammered by Georgia, but they came back and, and dominated North Texas last week. Think, I think I kind of like that one. I think UAB yeah. could, could definitely win that one. I like that one too, and that'll wrap it up. For us today on CFB Winning Edge, remember you can follow us on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trist, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. Good luck, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.